as Christians, what is the purpose of our lives? I think that actually what I can say is that what I'm going to answer right now for Christians is, I believe, the purpose of our lives for all people, whether they are Christian or not. This is the actual purpose of their life. So like from a, from a, from a, a standpoint where there is no God, um, not that everybody who's not a Christian believes there's no God, I'm not saying that, but, but from the standpoint where there is no God, there is effectively no transcendent purpose for our lives. You can have self-determined purposes. I'm going to purpose to do this or that, but there's no way to measure whether that's your real purpose, like your created purpose or not. You could think of the analogy of a hammer. If I make a hammer, it's designed to hammer nails in, among other things. Um, so its purpose is to hammer in nails, pull them out, do that sort of thing. That's its actual purpose because I have intent when I made it. But let's say that something very much like a hammer just sort of accidentally fell together in the forest. Would it have a purpose, even if it looked identical to a hammer, would it have a purpose the way the hammer does? I know it would have things it's good at, but it wouldn't have purpose in the same sense. It could, and if you made it a smart, if you made it smart, this pseudo hammer and intelligent, it could determine, hey, I'm, I'm good at hammering in nails, I suppose I'll be, I'll make that my purpose because I'm good at it. Or maybe it decides I enjoy um, frolicking among the bananas. And then maybe that just, it decides that's its, its purpose now because it has a self-determined purpose. But you can't actually say that purpose is transcendent. That purpose has ultimate, you know, value and meaning beyond just sort of the determination of the individual. Nor can you actually weigh the goodness or badness of that purpose very easily because it's just, you do what you want. Um, the purposelessness of life without God is is a is a pretty psychologically daunting thing to consider. And there's even philosophers in the past who acknowledge that without God there is no purpose and there is no moral values um, or duties that are binding upon humanity. And then determined that they would just kind of pretend that there was, like some calling this the noble lie. Like we'll just lie to ourselves and say that we have purpose when in fact we really don't. What's so weird about this is that by calling it a noble lie, that's part of the lie is that this is noble because they, they're saying we deny nobility amongst those things. So um, I, I do think that those who tried to say that there is true and genuine, like transcendent, ultimate purpose and meaning and values without God, I think that they're incorrect. I think their philosophical arguments fall and fail. They have them, but I think they fail. And many atheists over time have acknowledged that, even philosophers. Um, not that they're all going to agree with me. Obviously, they're not, but many have. So the question that we have then is, with God in the picture, what is our purpose? It's nice that I have some, but what is it? What is my purpose? And I want to uh, tackle this, you know, from the perspective of, um, well, what I've what I've heard in the past from people is that, you know, glorifying God and enjoying him forever is our purpose. And I would agree with that, but I don't know that that fully answers my questions about purpose when I say that. I, I think that the statement, the answer, glorify God, enjoy him forever, may not answer enough of my questions about what is my purpose for me to be clear on it until I've really thought it through. So if you're going to really think it through, that that's a pretty good answer. But I'm also wondering if there's like a biblical verse that says this. Have you guys tried to, you know, because the goal here is like think biblically about everything. So is there a Bible verse that says that glorifying God and enjoying him forever is the purpose of mankind, or that just glorifying God is the ultimate purpose of mankind. And while I want to agree with this idea at its core, 
I want to say that I might express it a little differently the more I think about it and the more time I have to talk about it, which today I have a little bit more time. So let me walk you through some scripture. Since I don't know a Bible verse that just tells you the purpose of mankind is fill in the blank, like in, in that sort of plain, explicit sense. But the Bible doesn't leave us clueless by any measure on this. Just because you don't have a single verse that answers the question in a plain, explicit sense doesn't mean the Bible doesn't answer the question. So here's some thoughts from Scripture. Um, it says in Scripture that God created all things for himself. There was It was created by him and for him. That's a pretty interesting phrase. It, it means that not just you, but all of creation is ultimately for God. Now, does that mean that that is the final and, and ultimate and total description of our purpose? I, I don't think so. I think that there's more details you want to put in there. What do you mean for God? Like I exist for God? That's a perfectly good, you, why do you exist? For God. Like that's a good answer, but but I need more details to understand how that how this works out in my life. So let me take us to what it means to be for God by looking at the whole Bible real quick. <laughs> it's only take like a minute. So Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve. It says in his image. In God's image, he made us. This is unlike all the animals. So we are for God, but we're for God in a different way. We're different. We're set apart from all of creation. You and me were made in God's image. Now, as you carry us on to the New Testament, you'll see that uh, that when we turn to Christ, we sort of uh, we get the fullness of what it means to be in the image of God because we, we're transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Anyway, we'll get there in a second. So Adam and Eve are put into the garden, and they have, in this moment of perfection, They've got like three things that I can see. They have fellowship with God, right? He walks in the cool of the day. They have fellowship with God. They have fellowship with each other with no tension, no awkwardness, no weirdness, no sin. They're naked and unashamed. And they have stewardship over creation. So there's there's three sort of relationships that are there. There's God, right? Each other and creation. And there are different relationships, right? Creation, it's a stewardship relationship. It's I don't worship creation, right? It's a stewardship thing. With each other, it's a fellowship, equality relationship um, with with deep connection and no sin involved. And with God, it's different, right? He is God. He is not just like one of us. So you have those relationships. Then there's the problem of the fall, sin. And this is the problem that the rest of the Bible ripple effect deals with all throughout its pages. So they sin, they're kicked out of the garden. So the stewardship of the planet is damaged, right? It's, it's not over, it's not ended, but it's harmed somehow as the curse affects creation itself, thorns and thistles and the beasts and all this stuff. Um, the, it, the, the relationship between man and woman is also damaged. If you read in Genesis 3 about the curse, the connection between husband and wife and stuff is damaged. And we see this play out with then later uh, Cain kills Abel and we see all the flood of, uh, not, no pun intended, the flood, all the flood of ungodliness and wickedness of mankind harming each other. And we see the damaged relationship with God himself. No longer is this walk in the cool of the day with God going to go on. There's damaged relationships in all of these three categories. Then we have Jesus who shows up. He becomes like sort of like a new Adam, like to represent all of us. And he goes and he lives perfectly, doesn't sin. He dies on the, on the cross for our sins to pay the just penalty for our sins. And then he rises from the dead. And then he and he brings us into a new experience of, of relationship with each other. We're made one with Christ. Each other, or, or, you know, all of us together, we are one as one body of Christ. That's the church. So our human relationships are changed. And more importantly, our relationship with God is changed. Now we call him Abba Father. 
And we, you know, Jesus was like a, a rare Jew in that, uh, uber rare, in that he would go around calling God his father. Now, they didn't do this in a corporate, in, in an individual sense. They may have said it corporately, like God's the father of Israel, but not in an individual sense, like Jesus did. This was considered weird. And John, they accuse him of claiming to be equal with God because he calls God his father. And then you get to call God your father. You're not equal with God, but you're in Christ. So in Christ, we have restored relationships with each other and with God. Do you get the idea that I'm getting at relationship? Relationship is like a key element of the purpose of human life, I think based upon scripture. Relationship. Not just romance, but relationships. Then we have Revelation. The book of Revelation shows at the end the consummation of all things. And it's like the garden, but better. Everything's better. For one thing, there's more people. But we have a recreation, a new, new heavens and new earth. We have God who is right there with us, walk amongst us, not just metaphorically or in some other sense, but actually his presence is so very present that he is, you don't even need light in this place. God himself is the light. So we are intimately and constantly in real and deep connection with God beyond whatever you've experienced even in your Christian life. That's the constant state that we'll be in in the new creation. We also have a new earth where all of the corruption has passed and now we have a new and beautiful and perfect, basically like a, a global Eden. And we have a relationship with each other, which is without sin, which is in great and perfect fellowship. So do you get the idea again that what we lost in the garden, we received back? God made us for relationship with him, others, and stewardship of creation. And these seems to be the things that we're made for. Now, if you look at what Jesus said, um, when he was asked, th th this gives us another clue. I, I, I don't usually hear people bring up this verse, but I think it's really relevant to the idea of the purpose that you and me have as Christians. And then I'll apply this to things like, can you be a veterinarian? <laughs> For those who might be wondering that. Um, which you can, of course, but I just want to apply it. I want to think it through. Um, when Jesus was asked, or asked actually others, what is the greatest commandment? And this whole discussion happened. He affirms that the greatest commandment, the greatest duty of mankind is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And everything else kind of hangs on that. Now, if you were to ask, what's your purpose? I could, I could respond by saying, well, what is your duties? And if you could summarize all of your duties, all of the things you're supposed to do with your life in like two phrases, then those two phrases must be intimately connected with your purpose. So this is another way of getting at what our purpose is as Christians, and it is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means he's the chief love. He's the number one love. You don't love others the same way you love God, but you love others the way you love yourself. So God above self even, and others equal to how much you love yourself. This is, this is beautiful to me. This is the ethic of Christianity. This is the ethic of reality. Love is indeed the purpose for mankind. Our world redefines love in weird ways. Um, Selfish ways often, um, distorted ways, and ways that are just, just they just misunderstand certain elements of what it means. But, but God defines it quite well in Scripture, right? You can read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Just read through that description of love. This is your, your, your purpose. Love God, which means not just obeying God. That's part of it, right? If you love me, obey my commands. But actually being in deep personal relationship with God that is incredibly satisfying and joy-giving and fulfilling so you, you are being fulfilled in this purpose and loving others as yourself, which is a blessing. I mean, this is like the ideal society in a sense when you do these things. That's how Jesus responded. 
Now, if you see all else of your life in, res in response to this, like say, hey, my purpose is, you could say to glorify God, and that's true, but what, how do I glorify God? I would say by loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself. That's how I glorify God. That's the how, right? Because you know, a, a flower glorifies God by just being there and just being beautiful. I'm not glorifying God just by that. There's more to it. So um, if you see all else in light of this, this means that your kindness towards others, you know, this is something that you do ultimately in connection with your relationship with God first and others second. So philanthropy, which means like phileo, love, right? And anthropos, man, it's you're, you're just loving mankind. The good, good deeds you do towards others is just an act of love. Or when you worship God, this is um, an act of love towards God. It's not just a task, a duty to perform it. it. The duty itself is loving God. When you study theology, you're loving God with your mind. Right now, you're loving God in a fashion as you just think about these things and try to direct your life towards the Lord more and more. When you do evangelism, this is, a, this is the height of love towards your fellow man because you're trying to bring them into their very purpose of knowing God, loving God, and loving others. Now, it can't be done apart from Christ, so you present Christ because he is, he is the way. In fact, Jesus describes life itself as knowing God and knowing the one whom God has sent, which is Jesus. That's John 17, 3. He describes life. This is eternal life that you would, that they would know God, the Father, and him whom he sent, Jesus. Wow. So in your job, let's say you have a job as, um, a lot of people think of their jobs as like their purpose in life, um, especially when, we're, when you're younger. The older you get, the less you do this. But when you're younger, you tend to think of this as your purpose. Um, I would say this is secondary to your purpose. Your job is secondary to your purpose. The question I would have for you is, does your job serve your purpose? That's the bigger question. So let's say you're a veterinarian, or let's say that you are um, a graphics design artist. Are you, in the course of your job, are you loving God, first and foremost, and loving others? You see, you could do just most occupations, except for just a genuinely ungodly occupation, you could do most occupations and you can love God in these ways and it would honor him and it would be fulfilling your purpose. It, you don't just, it's not like everybody has to do full-time ministry. In fact, I would argue that that's actually a bad idea. The body's different on purpose. We're not all supposed to do full-time ministry. Um, we should be, we should have a variety of things going on. And in scripture, there are people lauded for various things beyond in being in full-time ministry. So the question with my job or my skills or my abilities or my pursuits, the things I invest my life in is, am I loving God with this? Am I loving others with this? Your marriage, seed in light of this, my marriage is a way of me loving God with my marriage and loving my wife as myself. Everything falls under the umbrella of ultimately God. God who gives us purpose, God who's the designer of the hammer, so to speak, has intentions for it and made us for it. And this is where our, our greatest ultimate and long-lasting joy, not temporary pleasures, not even temporary joys, but our, our greatest ultimate and long-lasting joy will also come from this. But your joy is not the ultimate goal. It's a byproduct of seeking this purpose. That, that's how I understand it. And I believe this is the purpose for all mankind, not just for Christians. This is the purpose for Muslims. This is the purpose for atheists. This is the purpose for Buddhists. This is the purpose for pagans, for those involved in Wicca. This is the purpose for all people is to, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbor as themselves, and thereby experience the fulfillment of what God made them for.